Hello, and welcome to the second episode of The Books, The Bag, and The Ugly, a podcast where I, Raymond Meggett, am your host, and I will be discussing a book I have recently read and deciding whether the book is in its bag or if it's truly atrocious. So, like last episode, I'm going to introduce the book I've chosen, give a little bit of a summary, and then I'm going to dig into the review. After that, um, I'm just going to go over like my general thoughts. I don't know how I want to structure this quite perfectly yet, so I don't know if this is going to be more of a review or more of just a book talk on this episode. Uh, I am very happy with this book I've chosen this week, so very excited to get into it. Um, And also, once again, just please be warned, there will be major book spoilers. I'm going over the whole plot. I'm not going to, you know, spare you guys from any of the good, juicy details. So if that's not your jam, don't listen. I will not be taking criticism from haters who are talking about the way I spoil the book. Yes, I spoil the book. That's what you're here for. So... This week, you guys, we have The Raven Boys by Maggie Stiefvater. And I think that's how you say her name. I could be wrong. I didn't look it up. I'm sorry. Pretty sure it's Stiefvater. It could be Steve Vater. It could be Steve Vater. I don't know. Anyway, that's not the point. We have The Raven Boys, um, which is a book I truly am loving, you guys. It's so good. It's the first book in a four-book series called The Raven Boys, or The Raven Cycle, excuse me, oh my goodness, but the first book is titled The Raven Boys, Um, and it's amazing. I love this book, and I know last time we talked about how much I absolutely despised Sin and Chocolate, but this week we have a book I love, which is actually low-key kind of rare for me. I am a little bit of a negative Nancy. Also, speaking of Nancy, all my homies hate Nancy from Stranger Things. We don't like her. But, you know, if that's your jam, do what you want to do. I mean, who am I to tell people that their opinion is bad? Um, <laughs> so uh, let's get into the book synopsis and then I will talk a little bit more about what I like. But first, I do want to say that this is a fantasy um kind of young adult novel I believe on Goodreads it's listed as straight fantasy and I tend to put it in more of a urban fantasy paranormal type of category but with YA that's not something you see super often so um, it does have magic there is some supernaturalness going on and it's categorized as YA book but we will get into that later because honestly Maggie was not writing for the kids. Let me throw that out there. Maggie was doing her thing. And us adults, we know what's going on. So let me get into the book synopsis and stop wasting y'all's time. Uh, The Goodreads synopsis says, There are only two reasons a non-seer would see a spirit on St. Mark's Eve, Neve said. Either you're his true love or you killed him. It is freezing in the churchyard even before the dead arrive. Every year, Blue Sargent stands next to her clairvoyant mother as the soon-to-be-dead walk past. Blue herself never sees them, not until this year, when a boy emerges from the dark and speaks directly to her. His name is Gansey, and Blue soon discovers that he is a rich student at Aglenby, the local private school. Blue has a policy of staying away from Aglenby boys, known as Raven boys. They can only mean trouble. But Blue is drawn to Gansey in a way she can't entirely explain. He has it all. Family, money, good looks, devoted friends... But he's looking for much more than that. He is on a quest that has encompassed three other Raven boys. Adam, the scholarship student who resents all the privilege around him. Ronan, the fierce soul who ranges from anger to despair. And Noah, the taciturn watcher of the four who notices many things but says very little. For as long as she can remember, Blue has been warned that she will cause her true love to die. She never thought this would be a problem, but now, as her life becomes caught up in the strange and sinister world of the Raven boys, she isn't so sure anymore. And also, let me just start out by saying, between this plot synopsis and the last one from Sin and Chocolate, this book already sounds worlds better. I mean, just a plot summary, first of all, no hate, no shade to my, like, fanfic writers out there. But if you can't write a plot synopsis, mm, I just won't trust that the book is going to be good. Sorry. Sorry. Hate, like, you know, it just, because I love to scroll through Wattpad and look for trashy books that I will read 
And I don't want to say that I make fun of them, but the 13-year-old girlies are doing what they're doing. And honestly, good for them. Uh, However, if you can't write like a plot synopsis and tell me what your little like book is going to be about, I just don't want to read it. So this, honestly, a great start for me. It lets me know all of my main characters, basically. And it really, it draws you in. Now, let me get onto the plot because we're going to have some things to talk about later that I do want to discuss. And I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds too, too early on because I will go off on how much I love this book for hours. So let's get into it. So basically, the story begins with Blue Sergeant. Her first name is Blue. Uh, Strange, like, name, but not really, I guess. I don't know. I think it's cute and I think it really fits her. Anyway, we'll get we'll get into the characters in a minute. But so her name is Blue Sergeant. And so basically she's explaining that she's the only non-psychic in her psychically gifted family. So she's got a mom, no dad present. And that comes into play a little bit later in the series, actually. But she's got her mom, um, her aunt, Jimmy, her cousin, Orla. Her mom's best friends, Persephone and Kala, and there's mention of a couple other people. It's usually just women in the house, and they kind of just hang out and have fun. Sounds like a really cool place to live if you ask me, but no one did. Anyway, so they all have psychic powers, and Blue does not. But she does have something a little special about her. We'll get into it in just a minute. Um, And yeah, so since she was born... All of the psychics in her family have predicted that if she kisses her true love, they will die. This year, on St. Mark's Eve, Blue and Neve record the spirits of those who are fated to die in the upcoming year, and Blue is stunned to see a specter called Gansey. By the way, Neve, so this plot, I'm reading a plot summary. I didn't write this down myself. I'm just reading one off the internet from the Raven Boys fandom wiki. Go for fandom wikis, to be honest. Whoever is writing these, killing it. Um, Neve is Mora, which is, okay, Blue's mom is named Mora. Let me just go back all together. Blue's mom is named Mora, and Neve is Mora's half-sister, but Blue has never really met her before, but she showed up this year for some strange reason, because things are weird this year, I guess. So Neve is like her aunt, basically, um, and she's a little strange. So Blue is stunned to see Gansey, because she's never seen any of the, like, ghosts who are fated to die. That's always something that her family can see, but she's never been able to see them. And the corpses are all, well, the ghosts are all on this kind of path that they call the corpse road, which comes into play later. So I will get back into that. Um, But Neve basically explains that it means Gansey is either going to be Blue's true love or someone that she will inevitably kill. Which, if you think about it, based off of her um like fortune about killing her or that her true love will die if she kisses them it kind of sounds like it might be a little bit connected if you ask me but no one did so henrietta is infused with magic via the ley line or the corpse road which is what uh blues family calls it uh which is an invisible energy current which to me just to hop in really quickly one more time here if you're going to call it a ley line, if you have ley lines, it's clearly a little bit deeper than fantasy to me and goes like further into supernatural fantasy or paranormal fantasy. But well, again, we'll come back to it. So now the boys go to Aglinby Academy. And I did look that one up and that is how you pronounce it. It's spelled A-G-L-I-O-N-B-Y. So at first I thought it was Ag Lion B, but it's Aglin B. And so the boys are Richard Gansey III, who goes by Dick to his family and Gansey to all of his friends, Ronan Lynch and Adam Parrish, and then Noah, whose last name the boys don't know. Like they Noah's a little weird. Um as we'll find out in just a minute. Noah's a little different than everyone else. And so basically these boys are like the Raven boys and they're supposed to be all Aglinby kids are like privileged and rich and they're going to be politicians and they fly in the face of Southern Virginia social concepts 
because that's where Henrietta is. That's where everybody lives. They live in, like, Virginia. Um, So they're, like, different. They're supposed to be cool or whatever. And so basically, um, Gansey, Ronan, and Noah live in a warehouse called Monmouth Manufacturing, and Adam lives with his parents in a double-wide trailer home. Um, after magically recovering from the brink of death when he was a kid, Gansey decided to embark on a quest to find the mythical Welsh king, Glendower, who is prophesied to grant a wish to the person who wakes him. Ronan's father, Niall, was murdered shortly before the beginning of the book, which is why he lives at Monmouth now, and Noah just kind of lives there because Gansey's there. Um, so yeah, Gansey's parents don't live with him, but he does have parents, they're just not there, so... Gansey, Ronan, and Noah hang out by themselves. They're the boys. Love them. So Blue meets the Raven boys in a disastrous conversation where Gansey implies that he can buy off Blue to date Adam. It's Gansey struggles on the social. Um, uh, mm. Gansey struggles to speak with women. Let's put it that way. Let's say that. He's love him, though. Absolute baby. But he was struggling. So Gansey leaves his journal with all his notes um, on Glendower at Nino's where the boys meet Blue, which she then picks up and she basically takes it back home with her. And she like gets kind of interested in the whole meeting of Glendower because her family, again, is so connected to psychics and well, they are psychics, but they're so connected to kind of like the almost supernatural world that it's just something that's interesting to her. And also, she's kind of a little bit crushing on Adam because of the whole thing. Like, Adam had, like, wanted to ask her out, and then Gansey went over there and then messed everything up for them. And so Adam and Blue, kind of cute, you know, whatever. They're little budding romance they've got going on. Um, more things happen, but basically the next big plot point is that Ro- Ronan goes on a drunken bender and like ends up in a church now he is previously catholic i don't know if he still has those religious beliefs but at the very least his father and his mother made him go to catholic church for like all of his life so he he ends up in a church drunk and like with a baby raven who he names chainsaw love chainsaw chainsaw's on the cover of the book and it's like, they're so fun. It's so cute. Anyway, Gansey and him have a little moment, you know, cute, whatever. Um, some more things happen, but basically all of the kids, so all five of them, so the four Raven boys and Blue, find a spiritual forest along the ley line called Cabe's Water. And it's like a time warped forest. And it's I almost just was about to start singing the theme song to Time Warp Trio. I am so sorry. Uh, That's the area I grew up in. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, they find Caves Water, and it's a super cool, like, supernatural forest um, where time is, like, moves differently, and there's magic, like, just flowing through the basic uh, construction of the forest itself. Um, And here... The, like, trees speak, but they speak Latin. And Ronan, he's really good at Latin. He's actually really good at most languages, um, which is something kind of cool about him that I really love. And so they, like, call him the Grey Warren, which comes back into play a little bit later, probably more so in the next book. I don't know if I will refer to that again in this little topic, but this is going to be a series um, of podcast episodes. So I will get into it at some point. Um, But yeah, so the trees do different things. And there's this one tree that gives them these like premonitions of the future, like the vision tree, I guess, kind of what you would call it. And Adam goes into the tree and he sees Gansey dying because of him. And so the rest of the book, he's like kind of paranoid and a little bit weird about it because Gansey's like his best friend. The boys have strange dynamics and we will get into that in just a moment. Um, Blue sees her and Gansey kissing, which scares her because she a is into adam they're like kind of dating or whatever by this point of the book and also she just doesn't kiss boys because she's not trying to kill anybody because of her little prophecy um some other things happen also so another running like theme 
of the book is that the boy's Latin teacher, Barrington Welk, has been searching for the ley line as well. And long ago, he had a connection to it. And he, you find out through the book that he sacrificed his, like, best friend um, to get the power of the ley line himself. And so he's he's trying to do it again. He's trying to get the power of the ley line for himself because his family, like, Welk used to be an Aglenby boy, but then his father got caught on, like, war crimes or something vaguely related to that. And so he wants to get the power of the ley line so that he can be, um, like, rich and famous again or whatever. He's a very one-dimensional, like, I'm a villain type character, but not in the way that, like, he doesn't have character development or that he's not an interesting character. It's just that he um, – his motivations are very, like, comic book villain type motivations. So after that, after we kind of learn a little bit more about Welk, um, and I guess I should mention this too, Adam has been a little bit paranoid about the book because he doesn't want other people searching for Glendower, but Gansey is super like open about it. He's always kind of just like, yeah, we're looking for Glendower and he'll tell anybody. And at the beginning of the book, um, Ronan's older brother, Declan Lynch, actually, like, has his girlfriend over to Monmouth Manufacturing. Keep in mind, Declan does not live there. And um, he even, like, tells Declan's girlfriend. And Declan and Ronan don't get together. And I will talk about that in a little bit. They they, they don't – what did I say? They don't get along well. Regardless of what I said, they don't get along well. So (laughs) – but, yeah. So in – later on, Blue and Gansey – go to the same churchyard that the corpse road is right along and they see a human skeleton that has Noah's ID on it. Like it's his driver's license and stuff, but it's like a decayed skeleton. And it's revealed actually that Noah has been dead for seven years. And they're like their friend Noah who lives at Monmouth is actually a ghost and he's been dead for seven years. But because his body is along the ley line, He's been, like, manifesting. Um, And it turns out that Noah was the friend of Barrington Welk that got killed or sacrificed so that Welk could get the power of the ley line. So they find all this out. And it also turns out that Noah died at the same time that Gansey had a fatal allergic reaction to bee stings. He's allergic to wasps, bees, all that kind of stuff, hornets, all of it, and like fatally allergic to it. And it happened a while ago and he got stung and he like by a nest full of hornets and he they thought he was going to die. But that happened at the same time that Noah got sacrificed. Turns out he lived because no, like Gansey lived because the power of the ley line and the power of Glendower, like, took Noah's life and put it into Gansey's body, basically. Like, they're not, like, they're not the same person, but, like, his, his death allowed for Gansey to live, basically. And so that's how Gansey got into searching for Glendower was because he wanted to, um, like, because when he died, essentially... He heard a voice that says, you live because of Glendower and because another died. So that's his kind of whole motivation for searching for Glendower and trying to find this tomb. Um, so, yeah, Blue and Gansey find out and then they try to, like, talk to Noah about it. And he just disappears. Like, it's the first time they've ever seen him do any ghostly stuff or the first time they've registered it, I guess. And so that was, like, a cool little moment. Um and then later, Welk confronts Gansey because he knows Gansey has been searching. Like like I said, Adam's paranoid about it. He doesn't want to be telling people. But Gansey has been telling all these people all over the place. And so Welk knows that Gansey is searching for the ley line. And he's like, oh, well, Gansey must be on the right track. So Welk confronts Gansey and tries to shoot him and take his journal, which Gansey has all his like notes in this little journal, which Blue had earlier in the book. But um, so Welk tries to take it. Gansey escapes by the skin of his teeth. 
um, which is like the second time in this book that Gansey has nearly died, which is a little fun, like a, not fun, but a little strange, but also kind of fun because that's not something you see typically in like a first installment of a series. But this series is so well constructed and we'll come back. We'll, we'll get into it. Um, basically, after that, so Ronan sees Adam get beaten by his dad because Adam's dad is abusive. And he actually really resents Adam for being able to get into Aglanby Academy. And, like, he's like, oh, you think you're, like, rich just because you go to school with the rich boys? And like, you know, one of those type of people. So Ronan sees Adam's dad beating him. Ronan beats the mess out of Adam's dad, period, as he should. Okay, snaps for a king. And then um, in, like, all of the commotion adam gets like knocked to the ground and he hits his head on a railing and loses hearing in his left ear so now adam is half deaf which truly sucks um i felt so bad for adam when that happened but yeah so then adam presses charges on his dad which was like a big moment because it wasn't as like happy as you would think it was actually kind of gut-wrenching because Adam had never, like, gone against his dad because he knew he, like, he can't live on his own um, off the money he makes. Like, Adam works three jobs. He's, like, excessively poor, and he's on scholarship to be at Aglenby, but he doesn't have the means to actually, like, um, support himself out in the real world. I mean, keep in mind, he's, like, 16. So he doesn't want to live with Gansey and Ronan, who are both rich, because he doesn't want to feel like he owes them anything. Like, he doesn't want to be in their debt, which is a big plot point for Adam throughout the books, throughout the whole series, to be honest. Um, And so Adam is like, I'm away from him, but now I have nowhere to go unless I stay with Gansey. And so it ends up in, like, a big fight between him and Gansey because Gansey's like, you you won't owe me. I just want you to be safe and, like, live at Monmouth with us and he's like if I live with you I'm not living my life for myself so that's like a big um, fight between them after Adam gets out of the hospital and so then Adam gets mad after the fight he steals Gansey's car which is a 1973 bright orange Camaro called the pig and it's broken down and crusty and rusty but it's actually like The pig is almost a character in and of itself in the books, which is really fun. So Adam steals the pig and takes it out to Caveswater, where he finds Welk and Neve, Blue's aunt. And Neve has been in the background being weird the whole book. Like, she was scrying and doing weird stuff. And, like, it was very, very strange. It was giving, um, it was giving very weird vibes. But now we find out that, like, Welk had called upon Neve to help him find the ley line and he was going to like trick her into something. And then turns out Neve knocked Welk out and she was going to try to get the power of the ley line. So she had kidnapped him and taken him to Cave's Water. He got out though. And she was like explaining how the sacrifice thing works because the first time it didn't work was because Welk didn't give an actual sacrifice of his like like, it wasn't a sacrifice for him. Like, he killed Noah, but this, there was no personal sacrifice in that. And she was like, if I kill you, I will get the power because you will have stolen my innocence. I've never murdered a person before. And that is a big thing. So Cabeswater will take that sacrifice uh, and give me the power of the ley line. Basically, they're trying to, like, wake the ley line up so that they can get more power. All of them are. Um, and so, yeah, basically that didn't work out for Neve. Welk woke up, escaped, and then he starts to sacrifice, like he's preparing to sacrifice her and he's like, I'll find a way to spin it to make it seem like, you know, whatever. Um, and then everyone arrives. So Adam gets there and he's like in the forest hiding. Um, and then the others arrive just in time basically to see Adam get into a fight with Welk and then he ends up making a deal with Caveswater to be its eyes and hands. So he basically says, Caveswater, wake up and I will like 
go out and do the things you need to do. Like I will see what you need to see and I will move the things you need me to move in order for you to actually have the power you need. Um, because like Caves Water can't really sustain itself all the time. Um, there, There's a lot going on with that and it's explained very well in the book. So honestly, if you haven't read it and you made it this far into the whole thing, because this is a climax of the book, if you haven't read it, and you've made it this far into the podcast. Honestly, it's explained so well in the book. And I can't do it justice. So that's kind of on you. But yeah. So he does that. And then a stampede of animals tramples Welk to death. And they're like spirit animals. Okay. I don't know if any of y'all have ever read like Touching Spirit Bear. But it's like the spirit bear. Like these are like spirit animals. And they're huge. And they just trample Welk to death. And so... The other kids, like, Adam is in, like, a bubble that Caveswater made for him, basically. But the other kids um, have to, like, go into the vision tree to escape it. And inside the vision tree, Blue and Gansey see a vision of themselves in a relationship. So that was super interesting. Also, Neve gets taken out by... Uh, Blue's mom and her two friends, Kala and Mora, or Kala and Persephone. So it's Mora's, Blue's mom, and then Kala and Persephone. And they're in the book throughout, and I will talk about them in a little bit, but, like, they're super cool, and they actually play a pretty significant role in the book, which I appreciate a lot. Um, So, yeah, they are, like, they take Neve out by scrying into Cave's water and then they pull her into this kind of like mirror dimension type thing. And then you just like never hear from her again, at least in the two books that I've read of the series. Um, but yeah, and then basically that wraps up the book. And then after that, Adam moves into the apartment above Ronan's church. Um, and then the Raven Boys in Blue attend Noah's funeral because uh, his family, like, never found out what happened to him. So he was, like, presumed dead because it has it had been seven years. But no one ever knew what happened. So they take Noah's body back and, like, uh, they go to his funeral. His family is, like, sad. You know, Blue talks to them because they all can see Noah still. Um, but, like, his family can't. And... Blue talks to them. But then literally the very next scene, you see them digging up Noah's bones, desecrating his new grave, and they move his body back to the ley line. So now it's back on the corpse road so that it has enough energy to sustain him. Because before his body, he was manifesting because he was on the ley line and he had enough energy to manifest. And the cool thing is, so I never got into it, but Blue's powers are that she can amplify, um, like, psychic energy or ley line energy. So whenever Blue's around, the ley line is, like, more awake, basically. And so whenever she's around Noah, he's more corporeal than he is when she's not around. Super cool little function. Um, Honestly, it's amazing. And Blue and Noah have such a cute little, like, friendship, and I do love them. Um, oh, and then the very last thing that happens in the book is Ronan tells everyone, because when he got Chainsaw in the church scene where he was, like, drunk earlier, Gansy had asked him, like, where Chainsaw came from. He had no explanation. Like, he didn't say anything, but basically he tells them, well, after that little fun adventure, I guess I should tell you guys that I took Chainsaw out of my dreams, which is such an amazing way to end the book. Oh, it was awesome, and I, mm, I loved it so much. It made me so happy because I don't. It's what a cool function and something that you don't see often. Like it's not, um, a trope or even like a cliche. It's not something you see around. But it was super cool. Lots and lots of love for that. So that's the plot. Um, and now I'm going to get into the characters. Because really, I'm going to throw this out there. I did not have much that I disliked about this book. I read this book back in March, I believe. No, no, no. That's no. Okay. I read this book sometime between late April and early May. Um, And 
it was surprising to me because I had read other Maggie Stiefvetter books. And I really liked All the Cricket Saints. Super good. I liked her magical realism. Like, I just liked the way she worked the magic into the world. And I also really, really liked her werewolf series um, that started with Shiver, I believe. Shiver, Linger, and something else. Um, I really liked that The Wolves of Mercy Falls, I believe, is what the series is like goes by. And so I I just loved, loved, loved those books. So I tried to read this book when I was, mm, I don't know, probably in seventh grade. And I DNF'd it pretty quickly, like probably chapter one, which is strange for me because usually I try to give books a couple chapters before I DNF it. But I don't know. It just, it wasn't working for me when I read it then, but rereading it now, it captured me immediately. I mean, when I tell you I read this book in one day, I stayed up until, I think I started the book probably like 6 p.m., stayed up until 4 a.m. reading, had to get up to do like a charity work thing the next day, and then finished the book in the evening of the next day. Like it was a 24-hour period, and I was through the first one and just falling in love with the second book. And I don't know what about reading it that second time just snapped something for me, but it worked for me. It's so, so, so good. I love this book. Genuinely, I do. And I think this reading this series has moved uh, Maggie up in my list of, like, favorite authors, Um, which is strange because I usually am not big on books. I'm not huge on YA books, but this book doesn't feel like a YA book to me because it there are moments that are so visceral and like so dark and like sad. Like I don't want to say that this book made me sad and I don't want to say that I like the emotional tones of it were depressing, but I definitely I had to take a break after reading the second one because I was like this is a little bit like it can be a lot like it's not your happy-go-lucky it's not carry on by rainbow roll which love that book no hate no shade um but it's not like your happy-go-lucky we're all plucky kids and we're gonna go on an adventure type thing like this is it has real world stakes and you feel them from the second you step into the book so i genuinely enjoyed that about it um so to me, it's not a YA book. To me, this is honestly like you can read this at any age because it's depending on where you want to go with it. It's level of um, how, how do I say it's level of like emotional intelligence that's required is pretty deep. Um, so I am, I'm going to get into a little bit more of it. Um, I do think that the things that this book did really, really well are it builds intrigue and mystery so well because the mystery surrounding Cave's Water is a mystery. The mystery surrounding like Mora's family, like Neve is so weird and you like you feel that mysterious air. Um, and so that's super interesting. And the mystery surrounding Glendower is so cool. And the boys, like, their pasts are also, like, a mystery. Like, Ronan's past, you don't know much about him, but you know that he's not the same Ronan as he was when his dad was alive. And you don't know exactly why. And they hint at things, but you don't find out until book two. But it still doesn't feel like you don't know anything about him. Like, he's not a vague character. You know who Ronan is the second you start. Um... So, the like, it's really got great mystery. It's got amazing dialogue. It felt like they were kids, but also, like, they're, like, they're teens, you know? And you get that teenage angst sometimes. You get that teens who say stupid things sometimes. But you also get the feeling from teens where it's like, we're older than people give us credit for, or we think we are at least. And so they act very adult sometimes. But those moments like weave together so well that it really feels natural. It doesn't feel like an 80-year-old writing a like 16-year-old. It feels like Maggie talked to 16-year-olds and was like, here's how they actually act. So I really, really enjoyed that. 
It also lends itself well to giving the characters some type, like, some flaws. Um, which the characters are my favorite thing about the book. And that can, like, be such a vague thing because, you know, you like characters in books you, that you like. Like, I didn't like The Scarlet Letter because I didn't like any of the characters in The Scarlet Letter. But this book has so many things to offer. Like, the world building is super cool. And just the tone is amazing. And the imagery. Like, you feel like you're standing in Caves Water when you read it. Like, it feels like the woods are alive as you're reading it. And the tension is so palpable through all of it that I love that. But the characters really make this book come to life for me. And I just, I enjoyed it so, so much. Um, yeah, so I'm going to get into the characters a little bit now. And I have quotes I pulled from the book that kind of, to me, just like exemplify who these characters are. So we're going to start with Blue because she is our main character. And so the my quote for Blue is when she meets the boys and... They're at her, like, at her little part-time job at the pizza place, which I guess I didn't mention earlier. She works at a pizza place. And so she's talking to Gansey, and he's trying to get her to talk to Adam. And she keeps calling him President Cell Phone. So here's the quote. She said, do you see how I'm wearing this apron? It means I'm working for a living. The The unconcerned expression didn't flag. He said, I'll take care of it. She echoed, take care of it. Yeah, how much do you make in an hour? I'll take care of it, and I'll talk to your manager. For a moment, Blue was actually lost for words. She had never believed people who claimed to be speechless, but she was. She opened her mouth, and at first, all that came out was air. Then, something like the beginning of a laugh. Then, finally, she managed to sputter, I am not a prostitute. And to me, I died with laughter when I read that quote. Because it's so good, and honestly... It's exactly her. It's such a blue moment because she doesn't take anything from these boys. Like, she makes the boys work better together. And they started out as the Raven Bee Boys, like, or the Raven Boys, or the Aglin Bee Boys. And they're like a foursome. Noah, Gansey, Ronan, and Adam were these four boys. And they came as a match set. Everyone knew who they were, but she stepped onto the scene and she made things work better. Like she doesn't, she just, she works for them. And it's so good because she like tempers all of them while adding a specific energy that makes the group cooler. Um, Like, so Ronan, he's super aggressive and she doesn't let him like say anything mean to her and if he says something mean to like someone else she'll be like Ronan stop it right now and like he'll listen and Ronan doesn't listen to people and or Gansey will make some stupid remark like he did in that scene and she will say I am not a prostitute and he will have to like go back and consciously think about what he said like she makes him think more and Adam Adam is like such a person who worries about money that it's, like, great to have him have a person who also isn't rich around so that he can be, like, normal. (laughs) I hate to say it like that. But it's just, she just adds something. And then again, she, like, makes Noah actually corporeal. Like, and they're so, God, Noah, absolutely baby. So they just, they work so well together. Um, And I gotta say, when I started the book, And when I read through it the first time, Blue was definitely my least favorite to start with of the characters. And not because she was a bad character, but just because she doesn't have as much, like, depth to her or intrigue to her as the boys do. Like, she's very upfront about her feelings. And so she will just say it. Like, and when you get her perspective, she will say things like, Maura said this, and I feel very persecuted. Like, that's just how she thinks. She thinks in these, like, blunt, honest statements. And so you don't have to, like, work to understand her. Um, So she was my least favorite because of that. But as I went along, I really gained an appreciation for her because she is, like, a sounding board for all of the other characters. And it just, she makes everything more interesting. Like, she just adds more, another level of intrigue to everything. 
that I think is really well, that I think works really well. Next, we're going to talk about Ronan because he's my favorite of the Aglenby boys. Uh, Ronan, oh, let me start with the quote, actually. I just want to say Ronan is, like, absolutely so hot to me. Um, okay. So this quote starts when Ronan is in a fight with his older brother, Declan, in the parking lot of the pizza place where Blue works. So we're just we're going to get right into it. Scrambling around this. This is from Gansey's perspective, by the way, I guess I should say. Scrambling around the side of the building, he skidded into the parking lot just in time to see Ronan throw a punch. The swing was infinite. From the looks of it, it was the opening act. In the sickly green light of a buzzing street lamp, Ronan had an unbreakable stance and expression hard as granite. There was no wavering in the line of the blow. He had accepted the consequences of wherever his fist landed long before the punch began. And I think that that shows Ronan well because Ronan is like the rock of the group. He's very steady. If any of you guys have seen Avatar The Last Airbender, he is he's not like Toph in that like he's he's definitely more aggressive than Toph. But he's like Toph in that he stands in what he believes in and he doesn't move. He's unwavering. Like this man doesn't shake from his morals and he holds other people to those standards in the very same way. Now, he is a lot like Toph in that he, he is aggressive. He's a very aggressive person. Um, and he's broody and moody and mad all the time. And he's like season one Zuko where he's just angry about everything all the time. And he lets people know it when he's mad. And he doesn't um, he doesn't temper his words ever. Which is something I actually genuinely love about him because he's so honest. Like honesty is the core of Ronan's character, I would say. And I just think that that is amazing. So I I truly love him because Maggie does the like hot brooding teenager thing so well, but in a way that's unexpected. Like he's not cliche, broody, mean teenager because he actually has depth and like he is angry, but a lot of that anger is directed at himself and he knows it. Um. And, like, he can be mean, but he can also be the most compassionate person in the book at times. Like, with Chainsaw, you get to see him taking care of this. Like, Chainsaw's a baby, Raven. Um, And you get to see him take care of this, like, little infant bird from day one. And he feeds her. And, like, it's just, it's such a dichotomous character that, like, it's, doesn't feel like a cliche or a stereotype of like angsty teen um and he's also funny like he has a sense of humor and he's friends with these people like it's not like i'm a lone wolf he's friends with these people and he is probably one of the boy who relies on gansey the most and we're going to talk about Gansey next because I think I have to talk about him before I get to Adam because their dynamic is so specific. But the dynamic between Ronan and Gansey is different from that of the others. And Gansey is like the leader of the group. But with Ronan, it's less like we're friends and more like I'm your brother. Like Gansey is like an older brother to Ronan in certain ways that like, it's just it's so interesting and I I'll probably get into it a little bit more when I talk about the whole group dynamic but it's just something that I think is done so well it's executed so well in this book whereas you can see that it's not done well in other books where they try this trope like it's it's like comparing apples to oranges the way Ronan is written and the way Damon from the originals is written because that's like the character that like popped into my mind when I thought mm, angsty like broody teen who's like mean to the rest of the group or whatever right like that's the character that that was giving me and it's not like that at all like Ronan genuinely has love for these people and he shows it like he's not afraid to be like emotionally open with them he just picks and chooses his moments and once he's angry he's angry but like a lot of the times 
he tries to take that out in ways that aren't physical violence. Like in the clip I showed you, who's fighting with his brother and him and his brother truly, truly, truly do not get along like Declan. So basically um, a little bit of backstory about Ronan is that his dad. Um, well, I guess if you've already read the book, you should know. So I'm not going to get into it. But Ronan and Declan don't get along at all. And like. Basically, I feel like Gansey fills that older brother position that Declan would have had had they actually maintained some type of familial relationship. So that's just like super interesting to see to me. And I really like that. Um, And he just he has a great like depth that I think Maggie worked in well for him. But I will say to get back to Declan, that was probably the one thing that I think could have been done better for this book if I had to pick like any criticisms. It's that she introduced characters that you kind of like hear from a couple times, but don't get any resolution on. And I know family fights, you're not sometimes that just is what it is. So you're not going to get a resolution. But Declan is brought up in the beginning of the book. And, like, we don't even get a where are we now with him. We don't even hear from him again. And then it's more so in book two that I was upset by it. But it definitely was um, prominent to me that was just kind of like, I wish we could get something like that. Well, yeah. Um, I did have another complaint about the book that I will get to in just a minute. But because I was about to get into it. um, But let me just move on. So next character I want to talk about is Gansey. And I have a lot of feelings about Gansey, a lot of thoughts about him. Um, So this is from Adam's perspective, and he's talking about the first time he ever met Gansey. And so let me hop in. Adam remembered finding him intimidating when he first met him. There were two Gansies, the one who lived inside his skin and the one Gansey put on in the morning when he slid his wallet into the back pocket of his chinos. The former was troubled and passionate, with no discernible accent to Adam's ears, and the latter bristled with latent power as he greeted people with the slippery, handsome accent of old Virginia money. It was a mystery to Adam how he could not seem to see both versions of Gansey at the same time. And to me, that's like a very Gansey thought. That Gansey is like two different people. Like around his family, he's Richard Gansey III or Dick. And he's polite and he's moneyed and he's 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 like every politician you've ever seen where you can't pin anything down about him because he has no discernible features other than polite socialite. And that's the way he grew up. And that's the way people view him or what they think about him. So he reacts in that way. But Gansey himself is so interesting. And I say interesting because to me, he is the character with the most like, I don't want to say the most flaws because I think Adam takes the cake for that with me. But he is the character who feels the most human. Like Blue has a psychic family and she's a psychic amplifier. Adam makes a deal with Caveswater where he becomes a special person. Ronan can pull things out of his dreams and Noah is a ghost. But Gansey is the most fallible and the most human of all of them. And yet he is the leader. He's the one they all look to to actually um, like pull them together. And I just think that's like an interesting place to have him be at. Um also, Gansey made me the saddest <laughs> because he's trying his absolute hardest to pull things together. Like, he's trying to keep Ronan in school, which is difficult enough. He's trying to, like, make sure Noah's happy. And, you know, when he finds out, he was devastated about Noah, that, like, Noah was a ghost and he never knew. Um, And, like... He's trying to make sure Declan and Ronan don't kill each other every time they see each other. He's trying to make sure that Adam is alive the next time he goes to pick him up for school because Adam's dad is abusive and he wants Adam to get out of that situation, but he can't. Like, Gansey is almost like a parent, but in a way that's, like, so young. 
Like, it makes him feel so young because he's just a teen and he doesn't have all the answers. So he tries to pull everything together and it just ends up backfiring and making people mad at him. Like, Adam and he fight constantly throughout the book, honestly. And which was the tension in those scenes was so palpable. Like, you could really feel it. And uh, as I was reading the scenes, I was like, oh, because you couldn't tell when they crossed the lines with each other. And like you could it felt like you were getting hit in the stomach when they said certain things to each other. So I just I felt for him because, you know, it's hard to be a kid who's trying to like hold everything together. And it's hard to be the one in your friend group who's like the okay friend and you're trying to make sure, you know, that Ronan doesn't get drunk every day and then he goes to class or, you know, like it's just it's difficult to be put in that situation and you can really feel for him. And also I feel like his anxiety was um, it was done well in the way that you can feel it throughout the book. But it's kind of in the background, which is how anxiety kind of works, is like it's not there until it's very there. Like it's always something that's driving you, but it's not necessarily your like first motivator until it truly becomes a problem. And so I think like Maggie works it in a well that all of the characters have like habits that you see throughout the book. Like she's like, yeah, Gansey like rubs his bottom lip when he's deep in thought or he chews mint leaves but it's not something you see every scene and it's not something she calls attention to all the time but there's these little moments and little habits that are built up and I think Gansey is the one who like to me exemplifies that the best of where there's like he's very human he's just, he's very human and I really really like that um Gansey also is like I guess I'll get into Gansey and Adam now because that's kind of the next big point I have for Gansey anyway is about how his relationship with Adam and both of their relationships to money. So let me read a quote from Adam first just to kind of show you a little bit about who Adam is. Um, so... And actually, this was like one of the first quotes that ever stuck out to me about him. And Gansey says this uh, when they come, like the the pig broke down on the side of the road and Adam and Ronan come to like get Gansey. And it's like one of Gansey's first um, descriptors of Adam, I guess. And he basically says, in matters of money, Adam was quick to assign credit or blame. And that's it. And I know it's shorter than the others, but it like is so representative of Adam because honestly his only concerns in the book were finding Glendower so that he could get money. And it's weird because you like in your mind you're like rich people are like always worried about money but like Gansey is trying to get away from the stigma of being rich and of like having to um be this person with money and like live up to the expectations of his parents who have money or the socialites that his parents are around to expect him to do big things with his money. He's trying to get away from that so much throughout the book and just be Gansey. And he's so hurt every time Adam is like, you don't understand because you have money. And it's like, that's all Adam ever sees is that he's poor and Gansey and Ronan are rich. And it just it it's such a chip on Adam's shoulder and it doesn't have to be but it but it kind of does you know like I just I think the like class issues addressed in this book are so interesting and that's again why I say it's not a YA book because I mean this this book tackles some things like the class issues presented in this book I'd, I wouldn't have understood it as a kid. I'd have been like, I don't know what Adam's problem is. And I still am that way a little bit. But I definitely, I understand to some extent. But the way he's so prideful about things and where he's like, I can't accept a handout from you because that makes me like, I'll be owned by you. And it's like, that's not the way the world works. And sometimes you have to accept the help of people that like truly care about you. 
But at the same time, Gansey makes like a really good point in the second book where he's like, Adam has never experienced like unconditional love and familial support like Gansey has. And it's like, yeah, I guess if you don't have those support systems, you won't understand that Gansey's not trying to buy you off. He's trying to be your friend and keep you safe. So I don't know. It just, yeah, that's, those are my thoughts about Adam is like, he is so solely focused on money and, and, and his status, I guess, compared to the other boys that it's like, he doesn't even live his life. And he's like, I, I don't know. It just, to me, it almost reads as villainy because he has a, such like an antagonistic and prideful like sense of himself that it just, it makes it seem like he's going to go down a dark path because he has so much like, I don't know, resentment towards people, towards everyone around him, really. And it's just, it's an interesting dynamic to see because Gansey is trying so hard to just like be a normal kid. And, but to him, his normal comes with money. So it's like, yeah, that's not normal, normal. But I don't know. It just, it made me sad every time I read it because the boys could never truly have like a great relationship because of those fundamental differences where one of them is solely concerned about money and one of them is trying to get away from that, but because of where they come from. Um... So those are, like, my character things. And also, I mean, I didn't really have anything for Noah, but Noah is – Noah, to me, shows up a little bit more in the second book. And so I'll probably talk about him a little bit more then. Um, but I really like the characters. And like I said, I like the habits. Like, sometimes Blue can be a little bit self-righteous and a little spoiled, even though she's, like, poor. Not poor, but, like, not as rich as the Aglenby boys. She can be a little self-righteous, but, like, she's a teenager, so it makes sense. And, like, people call her on it. They're like, hey, calm down. Like, Kala, I love Kala. And we'll talk about them in just a in just a second. Um, and, like, I don't know. I just, I really liked that. Also, um, I really like the storyline between Neve and Welk. I'm not going to really touch on it too much because I'm mostly this is really just me reviewing the characters that I truly liked. I liked Neve and Welk and their storyline was done very well. The climax ramped up beautifully. It fit perfectly. And I liked how we got a full story within this. Like that was one of my biggest things about Sin and Chocolate was that nothing actually happened because it wasn't a full story. It was only half of a story. And this, you get a full story. You wrap up the Welk line. You get clarity on Noah. You get an introduction to the next storyline, which is going to be about Ronan. Um, and they get one step closer to Glendower because they found Caveswater. So, you know, you get a lot of things and it's a very good introduction, but you wrap up at the end with Welk being gone and Neve being gone. And it's just like, it's cool. Um, Welk and Neve, really cool characters, really well done. Um, but I just, I don't have a whole lot to say on them right now. Also, I do want to throw out there, the foreshadowing in this book is amazing. First of all, Okay, I do I do have a little quote from Noah, and it was the first thing he said, and he said it to Declan's girlfriend. And this is literally his introduction, okay? He says, or, okay, Noah extended his hand. Oh, your hand is cold. Ashley cupped her fingers against her shirt to warm them. I've been dead for seven years, Noah said. That's as warm as they get. Noah, unlike his pristine room, always seemed a little grubby. There was something out of place about his clothing, his mostly combed back fair hair. His unkempt uniform always made Adam feel a little less like he stuck out. That's his first scene. And when I read that, let me tell you, I was like, mm, that's sus. That's weird. Because they took it all as a joke. Like, everybody, like, laughed. And I was like, mm, that's a little strange. And I wrote it down in my notes because I was, I like, I annotated as I was reading um, the first time through. And I wrote it down. And I was like, Noah's definitely dead. No, there's no way that Noah is not actually already dead. Who says things like that? So let me tell y'all, I must be a part of Blue's family because I'm out here psychic. I knew Noah was dead from moment one. Who says something like I died seven years ago? And he also doesn't go to school and he doesn't eat, which, okay, I will say when the book started, I was like, oh, Noah got like an eating disorder because they went out for pizza and Gansey, Noah was like, I don't want to go. And Gansey was like, we won't make you eat. I was like, huh? Excuse me? Turns out this man has been dead for seven years. That's crazy. 
So, yeah, I just <laughs> I thought that was funny that she just threw it out there. Like, she said it. And that's like it's foreshadowing, but in a very obvious way. It's like um, like she hits her mark and she says it exactly, but it feels hidden. So you don't expect it. And I love that. Like, I love how she isn't messing with you. It's not like in heist movies where you're like. You don't know what's happening until you see the final plan unveil at the end. It's like, you know what's happening. You just don't know how to contextualize it yet because you don't have all the facts. So I really like that. That's a like fun little part of it. Um, also, okay, um, because I am going to wrap this up in just a minute, I do want to talk about how much I love Calamore and Persephone. They killed it in this book. They're really good, especially as they keep going, like getting more character depth on them. It's really, really fun. Super interesting. Um, And Kala and Ronan, that scene where she does her psychometry on him, psychometry, however you pronounce that. um, One of my favorite scenes from the book. So powerful. So powerful. Because you can feel it when she says what she says about his dad. Oh, love that. Love that. So good. Um... So, yeah, I just I really like that they were an addition because often in YA books, you see your young heroes like doesn't have a parent or doesn't have parental support or like every story. I'm Not to go back to the originals, but like in the originals, none of those kids parents are ever around um, like why can't I remember the name? Elena. Elena's parents are dead. I could not remember her name for the life of me. Elena's parents are dead. Her aunt dies. Tyler's parents die or something. Like, uh, Caroline's mom gets cancer. Not to spoil not to spoil Vampire Diaries. And I know I just called it the originals. That's crazy. Not to spoil Vampire Diaries for y'all, but this show's old. So I'm, I'm not too pressed. But, yeah. Like, it's just, you usually don't see parental support. But, like, Blue talks to Mora. And she goes to these people for help. And, like... It's just refreshing to kind of see that in the book. Um, I really like that. Also, I just want to say, as I was writing down the notes, I was like, they use the adults and the resources around them so that walking, they, so that they aren't walking into the woods alone. And I did voice to text, and as I, as I said that, it capitalized into the woods, and so then I had to go and listen to the Into the Woods soundtrack because Agony by Chris Pine, so amazing, love it. Um, yeah. So I think that's really all of my main notes. I really just, again, I loved the characters and I loved the world building. It was a little slow to take off, honestly, um, but it just, it builds so beautifully and like it layers itself so nicely that there's no reason not to continue reading it. Um, And I am still in the middle of the third book. I've been listening to that one on audiobook, which is why it's taking me so long. Um, But I really, really loved the second book as well. So it didn't fall off. Um, yeah, and I just, I will say one thing that I wish I could have seen from this book was more of a timeline because, okay, so the book starts in April, which I know because of the wiki, uh, like trivia section. I don't know why they do that on fan wikis, but whatever. And so the book starts in April and you know, by the end of the book or maybe it's in the second book that it's like summertime and they're like they're out for the summer but I just it was a little hard to know how many days had passed through the book like I I wanted to know like oh this is week two of me knowing the Raven Boys or this is two days after we found Caves Water like I just felt like it would have been it could have helped me to be a little bit more grounded in um, like time because it was hard to get a grasp on what all was happening. Like, like if it was back to back to back, because like the kids built like are really, really good friends by the end of it. And blue is like a hundred percent part of their group by the end of the book. And so it was like, how fast did this friendship come about type of thing? So I just, I would have liked that, but because of how ethereal the book felt to me and how, um, 
otherworldly it was in the first place, that could very well have been intentional to make you kind of feel floatier, like you weren't grounded. Um, so, I mean, if that was an intentional choice, then sure. Um, but, you know, I just personally, I would have liked that. That's a little note I had. But overall, I truly, truly, truly loved this book. And I I think I will do like a hopefully better review of the series when I get to the end of it and kind of talk more about the plot lines and what I felt about that. Because I don't want to get too... I, this is already kind of a long episode just for me to be rambling about how much I love these characters and how well I think Maggie Stiefvater did. Um, I, I sincerely hope I'm saying her name right. Um, so I do think I'm going to end it off here, but hopefully I will do a better, stronger like review of what actually happens in as this like series continues of episodes. But yeah, I just I want to say I really, really loved it, and I really love the dynamics between the boys. And, like, the blending of the natural world and the supernatural world. And, I don't know. I just, it was so good. And I really loved everything about it. Like, this book, to me, had no negatives. And it's it's still a little close for me reading it the first time. So, you know, those feelings of new book love are probably still there. And maybe if I go back and reread it again, like, in a couple months I will maybe have like different feelings on it but for now truly this is one of the best books I've read in a long time and so it'll probably honestly I'd say Maggie Stiefvater might be my top five um authors and I'll give you guys a top five list of my favorite authors and books I like from them at some point so um but yeah I think that'll be all for today thank you guys for listening if you made it this far honestly shout outs to you um and like share this content with other book lovers who you know um you know and let me know if you have any feedback bye